I was thinking um, it would be funny to uh, have like Shakisha and the White Boy was filmed before a live studio <laughs> audience, and they do like a '90s like. Like sitcom a, like, song, or like, like a, we're doing Happy Day style, or more, like, like, or more Mad About You style. Uh, I was kind of thinking like Family Matters or something. Ah, like, yeah. Hey, everything's all right. It's Shakisha and that boy who's white. That'll work. I like that. Welcome, welcome, it's Shakisha and the White Boy. I am your host, Ryan Dinger, better known to you by now as the White Boy. And of course, it wouldn't be Shakisha and the White Boy without my smart, talented, and all-around badass co-host, my friends, she is the one and only Shakisha Williams. What it do, buddy, what it do. <laughs> Shakisha, what's going on? Oh, How are you? it's been a week, man. You've had uh, quite the week, uh, quite the morning, I would I'm not say. A, I'm not even in an NFL, and I'm getting beat up around here, but <laughs> it's all good. A little neck stiffness. Yeah, yeah. But I'm here. Okay, yeah, yeah, we got to do this for our audience of yeah, three. Yeah, that's right. You're the three people there. that are listening to this right yeah. now. So that's almost one per episode. Come on. Well, this is episode three, so if we have three listeners by now... If you're one of the first three epi- one of the first three listeners, one of these episodes is dedicated to you guys. So that's cool. This is dedicated to you, a ninety R and B voice. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Ninety seven five, the star. <laughs> it's like, I always like to do those like stupid radio like bumper things. Yeah, like yeah, rock yeah. would be like it's one oh four five, the shark. Bringing you all the best hits from the 60s <laughs> through the 90s. Mornings with Shakisha <laughs> and Ryan. Yeah. The morning zoo vibe. <laughs> so what's been going on? How's, how's your week going? What's been going on in the life of Shakisha Williams? You know, all's well. You know, we're, yeah. we're getting some stuff going for our publicity for the show and working on our own projects. And it's been kind of busy yeah, for me yeah. in that aspect. But, you know, I always make time for Netflix. For sure. For you sure. Know. So, With like... Got into some Stranger Things. Oh, yeah, okay. I started watching it, too. Okay. Not, not finished yet. I'm three episodes, maybe four episodes. And what are, what are your thoughts? So, so far, I like it. I think it, I think it's been pretty good. I kind of went into it expecting it to not be very good, okay. actually. Uh, I thought the first season was, was very good. I liked it a lot. I thought the second season was kind of a step back. Not mm-hmm. that it was bad. It was just kind of, you know, I thought Eleven's storyline was a bit weird where she becomes like the... Uh, punker. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, right, like yeah. Out with like the bad seeds and stuff. Uh, and so far, I think the season's been pretty solid. I think I might like it better than season two, but we got to see how it ends. But Okay, so this is complete honesty for every season yeah, of Stranger yeah. Things. Oh, God, someone's going to like write me a dirty note. I watched the first two episodes, and I watched the last two episodes. I can't be bothered with the... Uh, the middle section. <laughs> no? I, not the double stuff that? Oreo section. Uh, mainly because it's a lot of taint. It's very uh, Goonies, has like a Goonies vibe. Totally. Um, yeah. And I'm, oh man, uh, I don't like the Goonies. Oh no. I know. Oh no. I know. And you're on record now saying that. I have oh. to tell my truth. Do not what? Goonie I mean, shame me, people. I'm not. 
in love with the Goonies. Like, yeah. it's definitely not one. It doesn't come to mind when I think of, like, my favorite movies ever. But, yeah. I mean, it's pretty good. I haven't even come watched on. it all the way through. Like, I'll, what? I have never really. Oh, man. So maybe I need to watch it and then what denounce do you think it. it is? Um, I thought it was very silly looking. Yeah. You know, like, the guy... Um, I've, like, even before PC was a thing, I thought making fun of the guy with the cone head was a little bit, <laughs> you know, he was special needs and like, yeah, we, yeah, yeah. so I, yeah. You mean sloth? Yes. Yeah. Wasn't he a special needs dude? Uh, or was he, I mean, was he I'd human? actually never, no, I think he's, I mean, that's actually a good question. That's a good, I don't know what sloth is. See I never really saying? thought about like, it. I was willing to suspend my disbelief yeah. for the sake of the movie, I guess. Sloth's cool. I mean, they're not treating him maliciously. Well, the Goonies aren't. Yeah. Uh, you know. Yeah. He's, he's being. It's been so long since I've seen that. Isn't he? Like, I think he was like with the something? bad guys, but somehow ended yeah, up. Yeah, yeah, right. With, with the good. He has a with good the heart. rivers. Yeah. <laughs> they just been taken advantage of for so long. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So I don't hey, know. You I, okay. Guys. See what I'm saying? Yeah. Oh. That, that you know what? Now that you say, it, I actually never <laughs> had that thought before, but. I actually think you might be onto something I'm there. I'm just saying. But he ends up on the good side with people does he who save care the, for him. Does he save the day? He is part of saving the day, I think. I, okay. can't, I can't really, I don't know. Like I said, it's been so long since I've seen that movie. But. I kind of feel like the sloth in life sometimes. You know, like I'm yeah. the outsider, and I hate shows that where the outsider is kind of. But it's not, it's a coming of age tale. Right. It's more of a piratey. I get that as yeah, an adult yeah, yeah. and a cinephile. I understand the genres. I will, okay, I'm going to watch it. I'm putting it on. You're I will watch, watch it. it. Okay. I will so watch it. You were going to talk about it again Okay. on another segment later on in the podcast series. I will bring it up because... and let you know that I watched it. All right. I don't even know why I care that much. Like, it's kind of <laughs> just like a movie to me, but it's kind of, it's shocking. I wouldn't have, uh, wouldn't have thought that because it's definitely like a fun movie. Yo, I've never even seen Office Space and people are like, you never. Well, yo, you know what? Because of what we do yeah. as our, as like our Clark Kent characters right yeah. now, you yeah, should yeah. watch Office Space because it really resonates when you work in an office, I think. I will watch it. So do you I like will. other Mike Judge stuff? Well, I'm sorry? Do you like other Mike Judge stuff? Um, like, like what else did he do? He did King of the Hill. Yeah. Oh, um, absolutely. Okay, okay. One of my favorite shows cool. of all time. All right. So Mike Judge, good, but... The Goonies fans are going to be coming for you. <laughs> and on that note, let's get into it. It's time for What the Fuck. What the fuck? What the fuck? What the fuck? What the fuck, Richard? What the fuck? Okay, Shakisha, on today's WTF, we have a guy who, uh, well, I mean, I think it just speaks for itself. So uh, today's topic is Tennessee Governor Bill Lee. Now, mm-hmm. uh, if you haven't heard, Bill Lee recently came under fire uh, for declaring uh, July 13th Nathan Bedford Forrest Day. Now, do you know who Nathan Bedford Forrest I is? I am not familiar. I, I hadn't been familiar with him either. And uh, probably the reason why you and I had not been familiar with him is because he's a piece of shit, or he was a piece of shit. Uh, he was a Confederate general during the American Civil War. Uh, so he's got that going on already. And then... Uh, after the Civil War, two years after, actually, in 1867, he joined the Ku Klux Klan and was actually the first Grand Wizard of the Ku Klux Klan. So this is a guy who was in this, you know, fought against the United States in the Civil War because, mm-hmm. I mean, that's what the Confederacy was. They yeah. were, you know, going against the nation. And then uh, 
even after that war ended, went on to continue this type of behavior as a uh, grand wizard for the Ku Klux Klan. So, uh, as a bigot, yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah. A, a, a devout racist. So yes. anyway, uh, the, like reason that that this, the reason that this, that this day was declared is because um, Tennessee has this code where you need to, uh, the governor needs to have six state holidays. He needs to declare six state holidays per year, and one of them is July 13th. Now, the governor has the power to change that. He could change the law and no longer have this day. And so when they asked Governor Bill Lee, you know, why he continued to recognize this as a holiday for this person mm-hmm. who was terrible, mm-hmm. he said, I signed the bill because the law requires that I do that, and I haven't looked at changing the law. That's his quote. So, uh, wow. yeah. Uh, <laughs> I, don't, I don't even, I'm kind of... I'm a little, at, I'm a little at a loss because what when we do these segments, you and I usually just agree upon what we're going to do. We don't get into it. So, okay, he, here's where I stand. I grew up um, in a world where my grandmother did teach me a lot about growing up. She was born in 1919 in Georgia. She taught me a lot about racism and what it was like to live under Jim, in, in the Jim Crow South. So, so these things are not, they don't surprise me. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, 1919, so we're talking 100 years in 2019, where we're still, uh, yeah, that we haven't cleared the slate of racism. But the, the, the problem is that the system itself was designed with these things in mind. Yeah. Um, so he's not the problem. He's a part of a larger issue. The fact that there aren't things in place for people to say, well, wait a minute. You know, I, and I'm all about the Constitution and freedom of speech. Mm-hmm. Um, but to honor an individual who um, whose entire existence was based on... Like, if my entire ex- existence was based on the hate of another race or people, I don't think I deserve a day. Yeah. I just I, don't think I deserve I think a, that a that's fucking a fair day. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I'm not surprised. I'm just like, how do we, how do we combat these things? Yeah, I, it's just... Um, you know, I, I've been using this term a lot more... Uh, really in the last four years or so, it's sort of come to light uh, for me is this like form of passive racism mm-hmm. um, where uh, someone is not necessarily the one who's going out and lynching someone, but they're not necessarily having issues selling them the rope. Uh, yeah. And I thought that you saw that a lot with the election in 2016. People who weren't mm-hmm. necessarily malicious racists or active racists, but people who were willing to tolerate racist things or racist rhetoric if they felt that uh, it would, you know, they could live with it if there were other things coming with Trump that would benefit them. And that was sort of like what the decision a lot of people made during that election. And it seems like this is sort of another form of passive racism where he's not saying, you know, he's, he's the governor is saying, I, I, declare today because the law requires me to do so. Well, then why didn't you look at changing the law? You're the governor. Right. Like, right. You know, why wasn't that There's on your... a movement among uh, Tennessee Democrats to to rectify this situation. Well, we know why. He's a fucking and, bigot. And, and yeah. under the new bigoted rules, we don't have to say... 
We don't have to walk around saying the N-word. We don't have to walk around, you know, stomping our feet and standing on on burning on lawns with burning crosses. We just do shit like yeah, this. It's terrible. So Governor Bill Lee, what the fuck, man? Oh fuck you. What? Fuck. What the fuck? What the fuck? What the fuck, Richard? What the fuck? Governor Bill Lee. Ah, man, that's a that was a good WTF. Uh Talking but, about that POS. Yeah, time to move on. And uh, speaking of racism, <laughs> uh, today's topic, Shakisha, is uh, one that I think is a bit heavier than maybe we've touched on in uh, you know so far in the podcast. Uh, we wanted to talk about the Sudanese uprising and, and what's going on in the yeah. Sudan right now. Um, and you know the thing that stood out to me as we started to research this, and this was actually your story or uh, your your topic idea. But the mm-hmm. thing that stood out to me, we started to research this, uh, was you know sort of how little we knew. So I felt that we should sort of give a, a little explainer at least yeah. of what's been going on. So for the listeners, you know, if you if you aren't aware, um, there's been a lot of political strife in the Sudan, uh, really over the entirety of 2019. It began in December of 2018 uh, with what was called the Sudanese uprising. And, uh, and these were protests by Sudanese civilians that started out, uh, you know, as a comment against the shortage, the shortage of food and oil. But they eventually became about something else. They became about the Sudanese president Omar al Bashir. Uh, now, Omar al Bashir has been the president of Sudan for the last 30 years. He was elected in 1989, and uh, the thing that he's become most associated with in his time as president is basically human suffering. Uh, He's committed atrocities against the population numerous times. He's uh, been accused of um, using chemical weapons on Mm. Sudanese communities. So he's this terrible authoritarian figure who's been in office for three decades. So the protests began, and, uh, you know, Amnesty International reports that um, the Sudanese government starts killing protesters and stuff. Mm. It really gets violent. Uh, And eventually there's this military coup, that results in al-Bashir's arrest and now seen as president. So Mm -hmm. seemingly a a good sign. They're about to get this murderous dictator out of office. Uh, But what's happened since then is that this military group that took over and and ousted al-Bashir has sort of stayed in power. Um, And it's a 10-man transitional military council is what they're calling it. Uh, And it's led by Abdul Fada al-Burhan. And essentially what the Sudanese people want is for this... 10-person military council to transition to a civilian-led government with democratic elections. Mm -hmm. Uh, And that hasn't happened yet, and there's no plan for that to happen. The 10-man council has been sort of cagey about whether that, or when that's going to happen. Um, And now what's happening is the protests are are starting to escalate again. They're now Mm -hmm. protesting this new group that's in power. Uh, And just last month, uh, middle of June, there was a murder of 118 people who were participating in a wow. uh, democratic sit-in. Um, and the protests have really boiled over into sort of life has stopped in, in parts of the Sudan. People have stopped going to work as protests. Yeah. And the UN has actually even come out and said that the Sudan is sliding into a human rights abyss. Mm-hmm. Um, Af- the African Union is is discussing kicking the Sudan out of the union until there's like a responsible government there. Yeah. I mean, they're really in a tense, turbulent time right now. And this, of course, is not anything new for the Sudan, but it seems as if they're having a moment right now where things are sort of coming to a head and they can either go in one of two directions. They can either go 
toward the, the direction of, you know, having a civilian-led democratic government mm-hmm. or this new group of military officials could theoretically stay in power. Yeah. So what's been most interesting to me about this is you brought up the story idea, and I knew sort of in an ancillary way that something was going on in the Sudan, but I didn't really know to the extent... Mm-hmm. You know, what to what extent the violence had been happening had been occurring and and you know, it's not being covered in, in, yeah. in the US. And and it and then that's really the thing is it hasn't been covered in the US and not on a grand scale. Right, right. And actually most of the sources that I've read for my research for this are non US media sources. Yeah. I've looked at Al Jazeera and the BBC. BBC yeah. Um and I, I don't know, that's kind of something I thought that we should talk about is like what is it what does it say about the American culture that these things can go on and the American people can sort of live blissfully unaware of them in some mm-hmm. cases, you know? Um, the long and short answer is these are brown and black people. Right. Um, we've seen this before mm-hmm. many, 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 many times when it was happening in the Congo. Right, Congo definitely is a was a country. Um, I thought of Libya. Uh, be, you've seen happen in our lifetimes. Uh, exactly, they, they tried to, and the Sudan has been compared to Libya uh, in terms of. Libya also had this uprising and um, you know this push for democracy, and it was kind of pushed back by uh, a group of military officials. Mm-hmm. And Libya is now in complete human rights crisis. I mean, yeah. it's and Sudan. So, yeah, I in mean, that way, absolutely. Um, I feel, though, that American media over the past, I'll even, I'll even go as far as to say since sensationalized TV kind of took off, like in the late, mid to late 90s, yeah. um, our focus or the focus of the big news uh, channels like CNN, MSNBC. I'm sorry, guys. I'm calling you by name. Fox, um, ABC, NBC. Well, they're all kind. Of, it's literally three, maybe two or three companies. Disney. Mm-hmm. Uh, what is the other one? Uh, it's the Murdoch. So it's Turner. Turner, right? And uh, who owns CBS? Uh, so it's the, Viacom. Viacom. Oh, okay. Yeah. So it's, so basically, it's all about making money. What is sensationalized currently is. Number 45. Right. So if it's not Trump-related, it's not viable for the news cycle. Yeah. You know, you'll have a pundit maybe on a Sunday, maybe at a 4 o'clock they'll they'll do their own personal or their producers will say, well, let's talk about the Sudan because it's not really getting coverage. Mm -hmm. But as a whole, on like, you know, your your 9 o'clock and your 7 o'clock when it's really the time for people to watch these shows, you're not getting that kind of coverage. And it's really sad that brown and black people's bodies are not. and, And this is a crisis. This is a national crisis. Remember when when um, the fire happened in France, yeah, it made like the regular news. Like it was like yeah, Sistine, breaking breaking news. Like it made breaking news, right? right. And was on for like three or four days. Mm-hmm. You know, we got to help them, and you know, donate, and yeah. and and we can't even get there. Are people dying in the streets. Yeah, the uh, thank God for the internet. First of all, I should have started by saying you know, prayers up and, you know, 
vibes of positivity and any kind of organizations can definitely reach out to Ryan and I. We'd love to, uh, you know, give you guys some shout outs, people who are doing things on the ground there in the Sudan. Absolutely. Um, who are helping folks so that we can then tell the listeners and, uh, you know, we can get the word out in any way we can. Um, so that, you know, and my heart is with everyone who's either lost family members. There was actually a man um, on Instagram, and he had been raped. He had these, um, I don't even call them um, soldiers, but lack of a better word, soldiers had infiltrated a hospital. They raped a little girl. The this man's, was in the Sudan? This is in the Sudan. Okay. I raped know. a little girl. Um, and he stood up and was like trying to like reason with them and they end up raping him and beating him. Mm -hmm. Um, and they had him on Instagram, like his name and where it happened and what happened. These are, there are stories like this coming out all of the time. Mm -hmm. Um, it is, um, a lot of Muslims live in the country, so it's always a battle, um, because women who are Muslim keep their heads covered and things like that, and it, it's just, it's just, it's just, it's just, it, it's insane to me that we're not talking about it more. Yeah, and, and I think the the idea that it's a Muslim country is important to say. Uh, yeah, it's in northeastern Africa, so uh, so that's another reason you know, why we're right not like in, in the Middle East. Yeah, you know, it's it's uh, I believe it's just south of Egypt. Mm -hmm. um, Northern Africa, yes. You know. I thought what you said before about uh, Notre Dame was was a good point. Notre is, Dame, is right. when that happened, uh, I think they raised like three million dollars in forty eight hours or something. And and even at that time, you know, there were a lot of prominent people coming out and talking about you know they want to donate and help them rebuild. Uh, by the way, the Catholic Church. I've been to the Vatican City. Uh, it's entirely gold. Right? Yeah, they got doing okay? a lot of money. Okay. They're they're going to be able to finance. The, whatever they want to. Yeah, yeah. Um, so they don't need help rebuilding. Yeah. But a lot of the comments that I saw when that was happening is like, well, how about the money that the French people owe to Haiti? Yeah. Like, you know, because colonialism right. had com has completely ravaged that nation. And we always talk about how poor they are there, but Haiti was actually a resource-rich nation at one time. Absolutely. And uh, because it was people of color who inhabited the island... Uh, the French and the English and and uh, you know Americans later on ravaged it and yeah. and they're still paying for their revolution. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they still are. They still pay for the revolution. So that got me thinking about like just how important narrative is and and how much like what media sway how media sway can influence things right as, because if the story is in front of your face you're going to care about it. And if you're a person who cares enough about it, you're going to do, like, at the very least, start calling your representatives yeah. and saying, you know, fix this. What is going on here? Um, you're starting to see it now, like, at the border, although mm -hmm. that's continuing to go on, and that's, you know, oh, a boy. topic for another That's a whole segment. show. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> so what the but fuck in everything? It definitely is. But, you know that narrative is is so key and mm -hmm. when the media doesn't cover it and like you said it's it it started in the 90s yeah. i think fox news is sort of seen as as who started this model of i'm blaming morton downey jr yeah <laughs> <laughs> i'll blame him first the big mouth guy yeah with yeah. the fights on tv and like he kind of started that whole okay. 
Like, he was the guy. I don't remember this. Oh, my God. Yeah. I, I blame those. Um, and, and Geraldo, early Geraldo yeah, years. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. the vault. And right, right, That right. kind of sensationalism For drove sure. numbers. Right. And we're numbers. I mean, we're still a capitalist nation. Uh-huh. Um, and as long as you drive numbers, you have a voice. Yeah, and that shift to 24-hour news cycle also, it, it created this need for narrative. And I blame Ron Burgundy. So <laughs> uh, That's the anchor man that we don't talk about. I think. Right, that's the second one. He's fictional, guys. Calm down. <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, it's just disappointing to see that there hasn't been as much coverage with this. Uh, and, you know, when you think about narrative and getting people up, up yeah. and, and wanting to make a change... Um, the other the other aspect here is that the United States government, uh, which is supposed to be this like defender of freedom all over the world, and they've ignored Africa mm-hmm. for you know through several different yes. um, you know presidencies yeah. and, and iterations uprisings, of the yeah. Uh, and they're continuing to not really do much in the issue of the Sudan now. Uh, it, when when the uprising first began in December 2018, there was no response from the American government. Um, and that uh, went on for months. There was no official position. Um, and even still, they've been very hands-off and, and mm-hmm. pushing just a political solution, which I actually think is, is correct. I don't, mm-hmm. I'm not saying the United States should invade Sudan. That We've seen yeah. in Iraq and you know, in the Middle East for, for generations now that that is not really an no, effective it does not strategy. Help. But the United States, maybe not as much as we did three years ago, but the United States still has political sway. Yes, absolutely. Only through the force, the threat of force with our military is sort of enough. And so I started researching kind of like what the U.S. could potentially do outside of military solutions for this. And, um, you know, something that, uh, what, what's interesting is that the United States has been very passive and now Saudi Arabia mm-hmm. is starting to, to step in. Yes. And sort of sway which way they're going in the Sudan. And the United States has become like a backseat yeah. player. And so that's, you know, even the Sudanese people at this point have said they don't want Saudi help with their situation. Mm-hmm. Uh, and mm-hmm. the you know, Saudis are, cares. of course, another whole can of worms that we could spend an entire episode talking about. Um, but it's, it's frustrating because the United States has been so passive in this. And this is yeah. a case where they could actually stand up and show that all the ideals that the United States is supposed to represent are real and... Here's an example of how we're protecting freedom and human rights around the world, and yeah. instead they're not. Um, but if we if we want to talk about narrative, um, even and again I spin it because it is black and brown people. There's another way to look at it. I'll say that first. The other way to look at it is we allow this these uh, countries to have these internal struggles, and we'll slip in when we're ready and co-opt the resources. Right. So yeah. there's that piece. But there's also the piece, and I'm going to harken back a bit, I'm going to take it back to 2005 with um, Katrina. Um, mm. There were thousands of people who were displaced, American citizens, because a lot of them were black and, and, and brown people. Yeah. They were refugees. When in other... Uh, Situations, whether it be the fires in California or floods in other states, it was never or has it been since referenced as those people were refugees. 
That's true. I th- that's that a is, spin. Th- when you said it just now, that's the first time I ever used that term. Thinking of victims of Katrina. It's insane that they're American citizens who were working, had homes, owned homes on American soil were referenced as refugees. Mm-hmm. That even then, and it's crazy because I kind of miss the George Bush years. Um, <laughs> Isn't that crazy? <laughs> That's where we are. That's where we are. Like, I, Isn't that I'd like fucking to go back to those days. Where we're like, oh, man. The, the Bush years. It was so much simpler when 9-11 <laughs> had just happened. Like, It it's, was insane. It's, it's insane. It's crazy that we're, we're at but that it, point. But it, it had gone to, you know... Uh, sort of like where we are with a lot of the people who hold office in the Trump administration, where the guy who oversaw FEMA didn't know what the hell he was doing Mm -hmm. and making big, huge, massive errors and money distribution and putting people on buses and just saying here and, and, you know, have a great life. And so there were all, so it was all of that, but the, I'm talking about the idea of the press and how the press present it. Yeah. And I would, I really want to see, like, at a long table, and it's, like, everyone from press there, and they're like, so how do we reference these people? Let's call them refugees. It makes sense, doesn't it? Refugees. We like that. And everyone signs off on it because it becomes the news cycle. It becomes the buzzword. Yeah. Everyone who was black was, was a refugee. Mm-hmm. So here we are yet again. The spin is, well, we're going to let those people handle their stuff because it's those people. Like the crisis in Syria. Yeah, yeah. I mean... uh, It's rubble. It's rubble. And even though it did get some um, play on American news stations, it wasn't... Yeah. Like, I mean, these are... Like, there are thousands of people dying. Yeah. There are people living in 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 these Entire uh, cities, cities, completely flattened, yeah. completely gone. And I mean, it's not just ISIS in this case; it's Assad too, is committing, you know, chemical warfare against his own people. And we and we don't care. Um, so yeah, so yeah, yeah. And it's, so I guess the other thing is is like, what? How should the United States government respond to this? Because, like, obviously, I, I think you feel the same as I do, is, like, war is certainly not the solution, right? No. But there needs to be some... You can't be the leader of the free world. You can't purport to be this, you know, superpower, uh, police-the-globe-type mm-hmm. uh, nation and not have responses to these situations where innocent people are dying, yeah. right? Um We've gone to war over these things in the past. When there is, as you said, an mm-hmm. interest for us, mm-hmm. there are resources there. Right. Uh, that's not the way forward. So, you know, how should we be responding? Is there, uh, you know, it's... It would, like, for me, I wouldn't be able to say intelligently or speak intelligently right, right. to that uh, with a, a full-on solution. But what I will say is that the more information that is out there, the more the conversations begin to... Like I said, sometimes it's it's just humans on the street, humans who can kind of band together, if not financially or resource-wise, just the knowledge of it. Mm -hmm. So um, as citizens, not being given the information is problematic. I don't know what, you know, from the government standpoint, what the best solution would be. Um, Because, again, 
too many times we only get involved because we want something sure. from so the country. I, I was curious about this because I was sort of yeah. stuck on the same thing, and I looked up some like non-military solutions that other people and what did you find? have talked about. And I found this actually uh, very interesting piece. Um, it's called Sudan at a Crossroads, Rethinking U.S. Policy. It's on Lawfare, and it's by uh, Jason M. Blazakis. Okay. And sorry if I'm mispronouncing that name, Jason. What up, Jason? Um, but something he says uh, the United States can consider doing uh, as a diplomatic solution or, or a way to sort of help move this Sudan forward mm-hmm. is to remove them from the state sponsors of terrorism list, which the Sudan has tried to work with the United States to do. The Sudan uh, used to be Howells Al-Qaeda. I believe mm-hmm. they actually Howells bin Laden at some point. Mm-hmm. Um, they made a lot of strides in, in recent years moving away from that, trying mm-hmm. to get those organizations out of their nation. Mm-hmm. And so what this uh, piece suggested is that the U.S., uh, I mean, this is a discretionary list, right? The U.S. Yeah. decides who is on this list and who isn't, and the U.S. has some nebulous process for how your nation can be removed from it. Mm-hmm. So one thing that they could do is is provide this outreach um, and, and sort of work with the Sudanese people to do what's necessary, and then that would allow U.S. businesses to then start trading with the oh, Sudan again gotcha. and start operating there again. Okay. Um, so there w- it would provide some economic boon. So it would take them if, off the blacklist. Right. And right. it would give them incentive to maybe really work toward ending these in-house fightings. Yes. And yeah. the issue so far has been when the Sudan has tried to work with the U.S. to do this in recent years, uh, the U.S. has not been very transparent in, like, what needs to be done, Mm -hmm. and they haven't, like, really been an active player in terms of trying to help the Sudanese people get to this place. So, like, there's Mm -hmm. one solution. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I'm the same as you. I don't feel that I can talk about foreign policy in a, you know, super advanced... I'm not a diplomat. Yeah. Uh, You know, these are huge... Issues that have been going on for decades, decades, much longer than you and I have even yeah. been alive. But something like that seems like an option that's worth pursuing. From our standpoint, yeah, right. on our side. We've seen now that war only begets more war, right? Absolutely. Um, you know, we saw it in Iraq. You're seeing it in Syria. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, that, can, that situation just continues to get worse. Yeah. So... They need to pursue other solutions, and this is one. And I had to go digging online mm-hmm. to find this stuff. Wow. Like, you know, this wasn't the type of thing where, you know, I saw it on CNN yeah, or something, yeah, and it was yeah. talked about in this very sort of seemingly simple, not a simple process, but sort of a, a simple, smart solution. Yeah. You know, I had to go find that for myself. And you wonder, like, what have we been reporting on here uh, that is as relevant or as urgent as what's going on in the Sudan. Not a damn thing. Um, yeah, I mean, not a damn thing. That's what it seems like. And yet, the cycle goes on, uh, and these people continue to suffer. Yeah. Um, and it, it just seems it's like... It's useless. It's, it's not necessary. We can, we can take strides to change these things. We definitely can, yeah. and uh, I think talking about them, like you said, at least starting to put these issues out into the ether and create some awareness around them so that maybe that awareness will start to drive action is, yeah. you know, the start, but, you know, it's the same old situation. It's, uh, 
You've got a long I, way to I, go. I'd love, and, I'd love to and, welcome someone from the Sudan who has, um, who's either in some sort of, you know, organization that's working, you know, with people on the ground there, or even someone who, someone who has come here and has gotten away from yeah. what's happening in their home and can talk about it with us. I'm, I'm absolutely down for yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, that would yeah, be great. That'd uh, be dope. And in the meantime, all we can do is talk about it, you know, and yep. uh, we'll continue to do that and, and we'll continue to look for these types of stories. Absolutely. But, uh, the Sudan guys, we got to pay attention to what's going on there. It's, uh, it's really scary. And it's urgent. That's a wrap for today's episode. Before we sign off, here's another reminder about our mailbag segment. Send any questions or thoughts you may have to Boy at gmail.com, and we'll address it on an upcoming episode. Our intro music was written and produced by Burbrock. You can find more of his music by visiting Burbrock.com or on your preferred streaming service. That is Burbrock, B-R-B-R-C-K. And if you haven't done so already, don't forget to follow us on Twitter and Instagram at S-A-T-W-B-1. That's S-A-T-W-B-1. Shakisha, anything to add before we sign off? I'm glad we did this episode. Me too. I, I thought it was a great topic. Yeah. Uh, you know, good find by you, certainly. And uh, yeah, let's look to do more stuff like this. Let's keep getting educated. Bro. All right. Till next time. Peace.